0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.
1: Over the line, Orr, close it, he's in. A backhand with a by Tony Esposito.
0: Stan Mikita was a small guy, very cocky in those days.
1: Oh right, my man! Magnuson trying
0: to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Nouveau. Murphy picked out a mid-air to Amani. Set him up. Roanick. Hawks win. Hawks win. Jeremy Roanick. 670, the
1: score's hockey guy, Jay Zawaski. No
0: more. Hawks win. Hawks win again. Chris Jelios in overtime.
1: Part of Blue Wire Podcasts. He
0: lost the boards. He shoots. He's gone. Down to the tames. A game-winning goal. The Hawks live to fight another day. Well back. Soap. Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Here's just center for Thames. he got a breakaway. team to win the game. Hawks win. Hawks win. Jonathan Thames. Brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. Fry the Coop. Dr. Squatch. And by the Sinson Law Group. less Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends. This is our final post-game edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast for the 2020-2021 NHL season. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago. I'm out here in Bourbon A. With me, of course, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawaski of 670 The Score of the I'm Fat Podcast and auditioning for a spot on the BBC talking about <laughs> food. Jay
1: Zawoski, how does it feel to make it big across the pond? Uh, that's uh, I got that job, apparently. I'm the BBC's fatness correspondent, so uh, very pleased for that. That was a very strange thing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check out my Twitter account, at JayZawoski670. Sunday night, I was a guest on the BBC because Wendy's is coming to the UK, so they need a fat American. Well, they found one. It's me, Jay Zawoski. <laughs> Thanks for joining us here uh, for what James said, our final post game podcast of the year. But this is going to be a full-length podcast. We've got a lot to get to. Uh, we will, of course, talk about the 5-4 overtime loss to the Dallas Stars. But we got some bigger picture stuff to get into. We always appreciate you joining us. First and foremost, here's how to get in touch. MadhousePod at gmail.com or on Twitter at MadhousePod, Instagram madhouse underscore pod look us up on facebook uh, at madhouse hockey Chi. we've got a patreon page patreon.com slash madhouse pod and check out our merchandise shop madhousepodmerch.com that's powered by our friends at triple threat sports and everything madhouse podcast lives at madhousepod.com so that kind of scratches everything we need to get to ahead of that we're gonna do uh sort of a postseason i don't want to say awards but honors i guess would be the way to say it Uh, Mm -hmm. we're gonna do you know mvp player of the year biggest surprise biggest disappointment some of those things uh but first james let's jump right into this uh 5-4 overtime loss the hawks blow a two uh a two goal third period lead they were up 4-2 they lose 5-4 in overtime and uh that whole game sort of felt like a matter of time because they were outshot mightily they give up 50 shots on goal in this one uh but look sort of a fitting end to this Blackhawks season where you know a team that probably shouldn't be able to hang with their competition hangs for a while and then just sort of falls apart at the end very emblematic of this entire Blackhawks season yeah I mean for those of you who didn't get a
0: chance to watch the game the Blackhawks managed 23 shots on goal in this game Dallas had 50 Good old Fitty Burger the Dallas Stars put up. The Stars outpossessed the Blackhawks 72% Corsi this evening for Dallas. It was real bad. It was very apparent that the Stars were basically winning every battle, and yet the Blackhawks persevered and made it a game, and like Jay said kind of a great summation of the season. It was a great encapsulation of all of it in the final 63 64 minutes. I forget the exact time of the final goal. I think it was like 30 seconds left in the overtime period, but exactly just...
1: 30 seconds left actually.
0: Way to go me. Look at you. Um Yeah, and it it just, like you said, perfect kind of summation of the season. You had P. Suter had a goal and an assist in the game. Alex Dabrinkit had a goal and an assist. Seven straight games with a goal for Dabrinkit to finish up the season, so that was pretty impressive for him. And then Vinny Hinnestroza had a goal, too. So basically, about all this game was lacking was an insane goal or assist from Brandon Hagel and that Pretty much would have been the totality of the experience of the Blackhawks season.
1: Well, the other thing is Patrick Kane held scoreless for the first time in a while. And I remember they've mentioned this a few times during the year where he has more multi-point games than scoreless games. So a two two assists from Patrick Kane would have made it typical, too. But, um, yeah, this was just kind of that game. Outpossessed, hung in there, got out to a good start. They were up uh, 2 nothing a minute 22 into the game. Dude, I to brink it. <laughs> just on fire. And does anyone in hockey have a better smile than Alex to lights up a room? It does. It really does. Doesn't it? That it big wide, lit up grand... the entire United center. Yeah. It was cool to see fans back. It didn't. Oh my God. It was did so it awesome feel... to hear them too. Yeah. Did it feel different though? Like I think a little bit on TV, it caught a little bit, but I think maybe just the fact that still those front rows uh, were unoccupied. Didn't really have the feel of a full, and it wasn't. It was what like three thousand and change uh, per game there. Yeah, but small, I had a,
0: small capacity.
1: I had a couple friends at the game tonight. Uh, we had someone email us uh, last night about their experience, um, but so you know, positive. Good to see fans back in there for you know the last two. And and look, next time we see the Blackhawks take the ice, chances are that United Center is going to be full, back to capacity, and uh, can't wait to see that. Can't wait to hear that. Can't wait to feel that. And you saw. Especially on Sunday night, how meaningful that was to the players to have fans back in the building, even just a few, right? Even just mm-hmm. the 3,700 or whatever it was, you could see how happy the Hawks were to have fans in the building again.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you came, obviously, you came back to the United Center and it was the only stadium in the league that didn't have the fans allowed. Or, sorry, not the only stadium in the league, the only. Uh, stadium in the U.S. that was not allowing fans up until the Blackhawks uh, made that change this week. So every time these guys went out on the road, they were experiencing crowds and they were kind of getting – You know the hatred and whatever from the limited crowd size that they were encountering in those different arenas but then they'd come home and it was all artificial crowd noise and everything and you can you always know the players will always bring this up and i'm sure that many fans kind of suspect that they're just paying lip service to fans but you know what i think the players do genuinely love the support that they get at the united center and how loud that building is and obviously it's not quite the same when you only have three or four thousand people in the stands but at the same time, just having that live, actual, loud support, it does mean a lot to those guys. And to a man, every single one of them, including Jeremy Colleton, brought that up in their pressers on for, uh, after uh, Sunday's game. And it was just very clear how much it meant to them. And honestly, it meant a lot to me, too, because it was really cool to finally kind of get that vibe of a you know a hockey game with fans in the stands. It's something that we had missed out on for 14 months at the United Center, and it was so great to welcome that back. I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, and not to get all sappy, I think, though, an, an added element of it to, I think, a lot of Hawks fans and, and me, and, and I'm not sure what you did on Sunday for Mother's Day, but... Yesterday was the first time where we had a normal family party again. Like all of my wife's aunts and uncles are vaccinated, you know, so we were all able to get together. We were all able to have a normal Mother's Day with, you know, no one wore a mask. We were all together. And then Mm -hmm. to be able to watch a Hawks game with a crowd, like all these little milestones were clearing, right, as people... Uh, it's hard to not get emotional. And I think, you know, everyone has sort of handled this pandemic differently, but I think every, it's been a trauma for everybody, right? And some people process it differently. Some people process it day by day. Some people will process it when it's over. Some people will process it down the road from now, but for it's been hard for everybody. So I find myself kind of, as I feel something or experience something that seems normal again, That's really when it strikes me how abnormal everything was, right? Like, I don't think I was having a super hard time with it, um, you know, throughout COVID. Because I'm an introvert. Like, me staying home is not a big deal. Like, I I don't mind that. But now that I'm experiencing normal again, it's making me sort of look back on this whole thing is, God, this sucks. And God, it did suck. And I'm glad, you know, we're we're getting hopefully to the point where things are going to be back to normal or at least something resembling normal soon.
0: I'm going to say something that's potentially going to shock you and all of our listeners. I am an extrovert. This pandemic has been really, really rough for me because I'm such a, I'm a person who loves a conversation. I will strike up a conversation with anybody. I know my wife is driven absolutely nuts because whenever <laughs> I'm at a bar, I always end up yakking about sports <laughs> with some random dude, and she just is sitting there looking at me like I have 14 heads. So... This, this pandemic for me, and just kind of the adjustments, obviously, that it necessitated in my behavior was uh, really hard to adjust to a lot of the time. And now that I'm fully vaccinated, now that I'm two weeks post-vax and I've been able to go out you know, to bars and not feel self-conscious about it, gone out to eat a couple of times, uh, just all that stuff, it... feels so normal to me now like it just feels like a giant relief like something's been lifted off my shoulders that i finally am able to go do those things again that have given me such joy throughout my life and seeking out conversations and new friends and new people and it was just such a massive uh it screwed my mind so bad, especially early in the pandemic, just literally not being able to see anybody or give anybody a high five even or a hug or whatever. And it just it's been such a relief, like, to go to my mom's house last night for Mother's Day and to hang out without masks on, to hug my mother for the first time in God knows how long and just all those little things. It's been such an emotional time for me. And like you said, it just is one of those things that you kind of take a step back from it while you're doing it. And you realize just how different life really has been because of this pandemic. And I know we're not out of it yet. There's still stuff that we have to do to, you know, for precaution's sake and all those things. But it just, it felt like such a relief to be able to go out and do those things again. And as an extrovert, I'm so happy I'm two weeks past that Vax, man. I was pretty much at my breaking point i think from all of that stuff
1: well i'm glad you have it if you haven't had it yet and you're on the fence i you know i don't want to preach but let's, let's get it let's help each other let's you know trust the science i've got it i'm good james has it he's good everyone i know in my life has gotten it and they're good to go so don't be afraid of it. Uh, trust the science. Trust the scientists and get that vaccine so we can all get back to normal. I'm full
0: and, 5G now, buddy.
1: <laughs> my tail is coming in beautifully, by the way. <laughs> uh, but just, you know, imagine, you know, you're, eh, I don't know. I, it was sort of rushed, however you feel about it. Just imagine everybody back at the UC high five and hugging after goals. And, you know, it's going to be great. And I, I didn't expect the podcast to go this way, but I think it's probably in a lot of people's minds seeing the United Center, you know, with some fans in it and with Mother's Day yesterday. It's kind of a... A milestone we've reached and uh, you know what's great about you being able to go out to restaurants James and me too is you get to buy my poor boy for the bet oh, you yes. lost uh, in our preseason bet oh yes bet. the bats <laughs> oh boy so you bet I listened back to the uh, episode where we made our season predictions and the bet we settled on was if a Hawks goalie finishes with a save percentage over 90 you owe me a poor boy from Marishka's. Wow. Just for the record, season over, Kevin Lankinen, 909, Malcolm Subban, 90 on the dot, Calendelia, 0.903. So if my math's correct, you owe me three poor boys.
0: (laughs) If that's how you want to operate this, (laughs) then that's totally fine. I think that that's fair. And it cracks me up how close that ended up being with all of them. That is actually really funny.
1: And I wonder. So I saw the Delia ones. I wonder if that considers tonight's game, but uh, I don't know. But anyway, uh, funny. But the other one we made was, I think it was who would win. Who would the it north. was who would
0: finish higher in the north between uh, Toronto and Montreal? I had Montreal. You had Toronto. That's
1: four poor boys. Yeah, four, um, I'm running four poor boys I
0: owe, jay, I owe jay a lot of sandwiches i <laughs> hey guess man. that uh one day ooh, out do, one jay. day out
1: with a one day out together will be worth it you, you can get <laughs> well, one, one poor boy's fine
0: well and oh uh, you know what how about this i will i'll pay for the other three poor boys by treating you to a round of golf at shamrock
1: oh that's a great deal i appreciate that and we do want to thank by the way uh Mariska's, who's been with us since the beginning of the madhouse podcast they switched over they wanted to get a new audience so they went to the i'm fat podcast but we will always love them but with us still are is our friends at fry the coop and frythecoop.com, westmont elmhurst not Westmont, west town elmhurst prospect heights tinley park and oakland go get your happiness at fry the coop it's the best nashville hot chicken you'll ever have nashville hot chicken sandwich they've got the tenders the donut chicken sandwich Yeah, you heard me. The donut chicken sandwich, the chicken and waffles, everything at Fry the Coop is phenomenal. You will love it. I will warn you one final time for the regular season. If you think you're a tough guy, and I like hot food, I can handle it, and you're going to go above hot? Okay, just be ready. Bring some milk with you. You know that meme? He needs some milk. That's going to be you when you leave Fry the Coop with your mouth on fire, but you will love it. Go to FrytheCoop.com, check out their menu, uh place your order online, get it at their very safe pickup windows, and you will be good to go from our friends at Fry the Coop. All right, James. Um, any final thoughts on this game? I don't know. It just it just it feels sort of anticlimactic. It just sucks that the season's over. Yeah. It I, I'm thinking back to our season previews that we did, right? With Kaylee chelios and Brian Hedger and all the experts we hit on before the season. And that feels like forever ago, but at the same time, the season—months, yeah—the season itself flew by. Mm-hmm. It's weird how, and maybe that's another symptom of the pandemic, right? Like where time is kind of—it's been forever, but not at the same time. I have right. the same feeling about this season.
0: Yeah, I mean, time is basically meaningless when you're locked in your house all the time. So oh. I guess it—it it, it has felt like this year as a whole is just kind of flown by it's honestly i cannot believe it's may 10th like that's just so mind-boggling to me that we're already here man
1: yeah hey did you um catch the pat foley thing that he did by the way
0: i did not catch that i saw somebody mention something and then i completely missed it
1: so he was talking about how well the hawks did as a team during COVID. And I agree with that. Like they did not have any major outbreaks. They had a couple, which was expected, but overall they kept things pretty tight and were really committed to getting through the season as healthy as possible. But he just sort of said flippantly, like, man, if I had to follow what they had to, I put a bullet in my head and he didn't, oh, he, geez. he didn't think about it. He was just kind of, you know, he was just sort I know of talking, he was riffing, but come on. Man. Yeah. So they take a break, they come back and he immediately says, Hey, I said this. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry I offended people. So he owned it. I appreciate that he said something. I don't think there was any ill intent. He just he screwed up. He said something dumb. He shouldn't have said, but he immediately fixed it. Yeah, just like I said,
0: flippant. And he clearly wasn't thinking about which metaphor was going to be the right one.
1: Yeah, that's not the right one. No, <laughs> definitely not. For future but I'm not look, he doesn't deserve to be canceled or anything like that. It was a slip of the tongue. He shouldn't have said it and he apologized, which is all you can ask for. You know what? Um, we already
0: got Medina spirit with cancel culture this week. Let's oh not go God, after Pat. Foley. Don't even
1: get me started on that. <laughs> but but Foley's point before he said the thing he said was pretty accurate and I think that we have sort of not given that enough attention this season. The fact that the Hawks really did do a really good job at, for the most part, staying healthy, preventing any major outbreaks. Uh, right. you know, there was so, and like you look at like the Canucks who've lost a huge chunk of their season that they still have to make up for, and um, you know, so many teams were really, you know, Dallas to start the year was destroyed by by COVID and and missed the, like the whole start of their season. I think overall the Hawks did a really good job, and I think they need to be commended for that and. While we might not love Jeremy Collin as a head coach, he gets some credit for that. I think Stan Bowman gets some credit for that. And, of course, you know Danny Words and Jamie Faulkner, I think the organization from top to bottom did a really solid job of handling this thing. So I think the Hawks, and, and look, let's give credit, credit to the players because they're the ones making the biggest sacrifices. So kudos to the Blackhawks for doing the best they could throughout the season and stay healthy and, and get through the season as unscathed as possible.
0: For sure, and I think that you it is possible to commend a team for you know kind of following those protocols and doing the right things while not coming down overly hard on teams that ended up having outbreaks because obviously we don't know what the circumstances were Good point. that ultimately led to the Canucks having the rash of cases that they had. It could have been something you know completely innocuous that ended up happening with that. So I think that it's very careful that we while pra- while we praise the Blackhawks make sure just as fans were not kind of bad mouthing and running down other teams not saying you did that jay but obviously i've seen that in the twitter sphere and just that's kind of an easy thing to do but just exercise some caution you can do all the right things and still get this virus so yeah i do want to commend the blackhawks for that for sure thank
1: you for saying that that was important that that be said because i don't think that like you said it doesn't mean the canucks did anything wrong it just means that they, they, they got hit harder or yep. they caught it later or whatever. And and, yeah, and, as,
0: and these variants are just nothing to screw around with. Yeah. And they, especially that UK variant is so much more contagious than the other ones. It's just, it's so easy. If it gets a foothold, it can be really challenging. And obviously the Canucks found that out first Dan.
1: yeah, it's, it's rough. It's rough. And uh, like we started this thing, let's hope that, you know, People start getting vaccinated, we get over this hump and we can put this thing in the rearview mirror sooner than later. So overall, James, as the season wraps up, you know we've had a lot of games where we were really, really happy. We've had a lot of games where we are really, really down and kind of pissed about the way things went now that it's over. Now that the season is officially wrapped up, overall, what is your feeling on the Hawks season? I guess the best way to do this would be if we think about our expectations entering the season how has this season gone in your mind compared to expectations
0: um i think that going into the season you kind of had two sets of expectations right you had the expectation for what you were going to see on the ice in terms of how competitive the Blackhawks were going to be and if they were going to compete for a playoff spot I think before the season started we kind of had them pegged as a team that was going to be in that four five six range that they might hang around if things kind of broke the right way for them and I Forgive me if this is obviously revisionist history, or correct me if it is, but that's kind of where I think we had had them pegged, was kind of in that area, and I mean, that ultimately is kind of where they finished up, so I I think that we pretty much had that part of it nailed. I think that obviously there is some disappointment with just how well they had been playing and how high they had ended up climbing in the standings to basically be a non-factor for the final five, six, seven games of the regular season was slightly disappointing. But when you look at where our expectations were at the beginning of this whole thing, I think that it pretty much ended up being the way that we thought that it would be, where they just didn't have the firepower. They didn't have the defense to quite be a legit you know, high caliber playoff contender. And I think that's where they ended up. So I think that probably I would argue those expectations were met. I think that that's probably going to be the best way to put that. And then the other thing is obviously what was going on in terms of their development, because you had Mm -hmm. to end up having that kind of be a yardstick for where the team was going because of what Stan Bowman and the organization had kind of put out there into the bloodstream during the preseason of this being a rebuild. This is what they're doing. This is kind of the plan that we have in place by that metric. I'm And obviously, Jay, feel free to disagree with me on this if you want. By that metric, I'm going to say that this season, even with the emergence of Brandon Hagel and even with the solid play of Kevin Lankin and Annette, and I thought the decent season of Pia Suter, from a development perspective, I just can't give them... A great grade this season. I don't think we saw enough progression from some of the players on the team. I know that Dominic Kubelik had 17 goals this season. I still wish we would have seen another step forward from him in his game. I still think they're, like, Dylan Strome, is another guy that just, I saw absolutely nothing out of this season. Uh, Philip Kurashev had a good start, kind of fell off towards the end, didn't really like what I saw out of him. Didn't get to see enough out of Kirby Doc to kind of make a judgment mm. of what he was obviously doing in his second NHL season. I I just, I think that the progression just isn't quite going fast enough. If you're serious about contending while you still have guys like Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith on the roster, I don't think that the growth is happening enough with players like that. And that's without even mentioning players like Ian Mitchell, who definitely did not progress the way that we thought that he would this season. And then You just kind of keep going on down the list, and you just kind of keep running into that same theme. So I don't think that it was a complete disaster in terms of development, but I also don't think that we're quite getting to where we thought we would be getting probably with some of these guys. So I'm going to have to uh, ding them a few points on that, probably give them about a C or so on the development side.
1: That's fair. So your point of they ended up basically where we expected them to... I agree with you. I think we would look at them as you know bottom three in the in the conference. That's exactly where they finished. Um, maybe we thought that Columbus might be a little better than them. They're a lot better than Columbus. That's great. So that's true. That the ultimate result was about what we expected. I was not convinced that they would commit to the youth as fully as they did.
0: Well, as fully as they had to, let's be honest about that.
1: Yeah, but there were some opportunities to maybe, like, if they wanted to, they could have brought in some veteran help, right? Like, they they had some, some chances to add some help if they wanted to. Instead, they did commit to going young. They committed to giving a ton of guys looks this season. So I'm happy with that. So if you had told me, like, this many guys are going to debut, this many guys are going to score their first NHL goal, et cetera, and this is where they'll end up. I would have said, okay, that's probably better than I would expect, knowing all those things. Okay. But your point's correct. When I go into it, looking at it from an individual development standpoint, I do think there's something to be desired here. Yes, Alex DeBrinkett has turned into an excellent two way player. A, an elite goal scorer, ending the season with 32 goals. The team played 56, but how many games did he play? He missed a whole bunch with COVID, so he's on just a tear goal scoring wise.
0: You would you believe me if I told you Alex Debraine could only missed four games?
1: Oh, that's surprising, but still, so 52 games. Thirty-two goals. That's that's insane. That's a that's I mean, he finished
0: game. what third in the league, I think, in goals. Yes, and right?
1: that is, I believe, that's a fifty-goal pace, if I'm not mistaken. I I believe that's a fifty-goal pace for Alex DeBrinken. I'm
0: not a math magician, so I'm going to assume
1: you're right. But on top of that, the two-way play and and last game, Pat Foley was asking Eddie O if DeBrinken could be an eventual Selkie winner. Now, that's a bit of a stretch in my mind, but the <laughs> fact that the question can be asked without outright laughter. Tells you all you need to know. So, yes, I think you've got to give the coaching staff some credit for Alex to development, despite the fact that he was sort of expected to be a really, really good player. Maybe he's better than expected, perhaps. But OK, you got to give him some credit there. You've also got to give him some credit for Adam Boquist's development when he was healthy. Once he came back from covid, it was a pretty, uh, you know, upward trajectory in terms of his development but then the other guys you mentioned, Mitchell was expected to be an everyday top four guy and was not, you know, you played Bodan and he was kind of the same guy all year long. Wyatt Kelnick stepped in and was good and got better. I'll give him that one. Right. But just overall, there weren't these big jumps, even in Boquist, there wasn't a huge jump. He just sort of closed the gap between, okay, he looks good or he looks terrible. It was more good and less terrible. And but, you
0: got to remember, he was a number eight overall pick in the draft. It's not yes. unfair to assume that he's going to be a top two or three defenseman in this league based on that.
1: Well, and if he's not, that's an organizational failure. Either yeah. drafting him or developing him or both. If you don't get him into a top two or three defenseman, then that's a failed draft pick, right? So... That's a whole thing. And I, I don't wanna I don't want I don't I don't think what I'm saying here is that it was a failure by any means. And I think maybe part of the reason the development stalled for some guys was because so many young players were called into action with Dehan going down and Shaw going down and some of those veteran spots you were relying on.
0: And Jonathan Taves not playing a single game. Of course. And and you were yeah. counting
1: on, okay, maybe we'll develop five or six guys this season instead it became 11 or 12 guys and that's that's kind of hard to do all at once mm-hmm. so I'm not I'm not saying it's a total failure I'm just saying that again like we said at the end of last season with Jeremy Cowton it sort of remains to be seen how good he is at developing uh, a player in a team and and mm-hmm. I think you know next season as they get healthy from everything they've said The expectation is Taves will play. Doc should be ready to go. Alex Nylander will be ready to go. Uh, They'll be much, much healthier next season. And you've got a year of hockey under these guys' belt, so that fatigue of the long NHL grind should not be as devastating on a lot of these guys as it was this year. Because you had Ian Mitchell last week just say, it's tough, it's a grind, it's really hard to go through a season this long. We've never had to do anything like this before Not to mention the games close together, not to mention the stuck in the hotel room thing. This was a grind on everybody, especially the rookies. But next year, all bets are off. If we don't see major jumps in development from a significant amount of these prospects, then we've got some real problems to discuss.
0: And I think the contract extension for Colleton is kind of indicative that that's the organization's uh, kind of viewpoint of it too, that they think they gave him the extension through the end of not this coming season, the season after God. It's so it's so weird to talk about the 2021-22 season as the upcoming season. But anyway, <laughs> I think that's kind of the expectation. I don't think they would hesitate to fire Jeremy Colleton if he does struggle to develop guys next season. I think that that's something that Stan bowman or the organization would be willing to do um so that that i think it was kind of baked into uh, jeremy's contract when they signed him to that extension
1: you know speaking of getting healthier um there were two articles written at least today about jonathan taves barry rosner wrote one for the daily herald there was another one in the athletic today when do you think we're going to hear from taves do you think it'll be after the cup is won? Do you think it will be before training camp next year? What do you? Th- I don't know. We don't really know. But what do you think right. the timeline will be for actually hearing something from Dave's?
0: My guess would be sometime over the summer. I think it'll kind of be one of those things. You remember we didn't hear from Corey Crawford for the longest time, mm-hmm. and he ended up coming to Blackhawks convention and addressing the media and kind of talking about some of the stuff that he had been going through. Maybe it would be something. To that effect, obviously, I don't think the Blackhawks are planning on doing a Blackhawks convention this year. Maybe they'll do some kind of a virtual thing, but I'm wondering if maybe in kind of conjunction with that, if maybe we either hear an update from the Blackhawks or we hear an update from Jonathan Taves, that could be something I could see happening.
1: Yeah, I would think, I mean, obviously before camp, but that that does seem like maybe kind of a midsummer thing as guys start to return, guys start to work out officially or unofficially. Uh, maybe we'll hear from him. I, I, I don't know. I thought it was odd today that there were so many specific things written about Taves and mm. Barry Rosner's thing. I don't know. It was written in the past tense, which I don't know if it was. I don't know really how else he could have written it, but it felt like a goodbye. And I'm, I'm not, I, I want to be clear. I'm not speculating anything, but just reading it made made me feel like, oh, is he gonna? boy there's like an actual possibility that he might not play again.
0: Yeah, I mean that's obviously that's a possibility we all do kind of have to be prepared for no matter how optimistic we feel that he's going to come back. I mean that's obviously we know nothing at this point so and tr- we kind of do have to prepare for any possibility. And
1: and that's the truth. And James, I'm sure you get this too where you're you know you're w- with family or you're out in public and people are like, "All right, what's really going on with Taves?" I'm telling y'all, we do not know. Nope. And
0: Absolute I, radio silence from the Blackhawks and everybody connected to them. No one has whispered a word about it.
1: The other thing is anyone who claims to know, unless it's from Jonathan Taves or Stan Bowman, they told you directly. They don't know either. Yeah. Most people are making crap up and the, the rumors are running wild. We've heard all the rumors. Uh, we we've, have not
0: given them any oxygen on this show for a reason. Nor
1: will we. Right, because there's, as far as we know, there's absolutely no truth to them at all. All right, James, let's take a timeout. We come back. We're going to do our postseason honors for the uh, 2021 Chicago Blackhawks. Can you say 2020, 2021? It was just 2021. Yeah. But first, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, Kent Simpson of the Simpson Logger. After over a decade of prosecuting homicide cases. And as an assistant Cook County state's attorney, he opened his own firm over 20 years ago, and he specializes in all forms of personally personal injury cases. He is a huge hockey fan. He was a, a huge Hawks fan. He's a Mon- Madhouse podcast listener. We love having Kent as part of things. So if you have an injury situation, some sort of vehicle accident, an accident at work, a medical accident, some sort of malpractice, Hit up our buddy, Kent Sinson. His firm's results speak for themselves with millions recovered for their clients. The Sinson Law Group charges no fees unless they win for you. Call for a free consultation, 312-332-2107 or visit SinsonLawGroup.com. Don't go offsides, go top shelf. Call now, 312-332-2107 or visit SinsonLawGroup.com. That's sin S O N We'll be right back with more on the madhouse, Chicago hockey podcast.
0: The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, friends, to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We're talking about the conclusion of the season for the 2021 Chicago Blackhawks. Today, we're kind of doing a thing where we give out some awards based on the season. Our next podcast is actually going to be slightly different. It's going to be about our expectations and our questions heading into the offseason. So we're kind of splitting the season breakdown podcast into two different parts. Hope you guys are okay with that. And if you're not, well, too bad. We're doing this for your uh, <laughs> listening enjoyment, and we get to make the calls around here. So, boom, power trip.
1: Wow, that was unnecessarily aggressive. <laughs> but I'm going to give it to you.
0: Speaking of un- unnecessary, <laughs> speaking of unnecessarily aggressive, Jab got a trivia question for you, Mike Ditka. <laughs> that is incorrect. Damn sir. it!
1: Oh man. All right, what do you got?
0: All right. So this is the trivia question. The Blackhawks, who played at least 10 games this season for Chicago. I thought 10 games was a fair number. Okay. How many of those players had a positive Corsi rating this season?
1: Oh, God. <sighs> <laughs> wow. I'm going to say three. Three.
0: The answer is indeed three. Can you name which players had the positive Corsi ratings? Hold
1: on, wait a second. You hit it right on the button there, Jay. Thanks, Stan. Um, okay, which you Better three? not be
0: cheating, or else this just—I'm not cheating. The How dare
1: you? How dare <laughs> you, sir? You just wanted
0: to play the stand drop. That's all it was.
1: You hit it right on the button there. Um, all right, I'm going to say DeBrinkit.
0: That is not correct.
1: I'm going to say Wyatt Kelnick.
0: That is also not correct.
1: I'm going to say... It's not Kane. He always gets slaughtered in possession.
0: You are correct about it. Not oh, it's
1: uh, is it Nikita zadorov
0: ha! <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, I give up. All right, it is all three of them are forwards. Only one of them has been with the Blackhawks the entire season. Coming in 3rd place just under 51% is Vinny Hinestroza. And number 2, just over 51%, Brett Connolly. And number 1 on the list with a 52.78% Corsi for this season, it is none other than Ryan Carpenter.
1: Very important Blackhawks. <laughs>
0: Just illustrating what a crazy statistic <laughs> course he can be. Those are the three guys that had the best possession numbers on the Blackhawks. I'm
1: not taking said. a shot of Vinny Hendestroza. Let me just say that. He's been really good since they traded for him and scored a sweet goal tonight. So
0: We're going to talk about him more in our next podcast. Let's not get too far into the weeds on this, just as a warning.
1: All right, let's start it with our awards before we wrap this up. All right? Yes. First category, most surprising player. James, the floor dunna, is yours.
0: Dunna, 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 dunna. Sorry, I thought you were going to have like a sound I should have some this.
1: awards music. Let's see what's on this board. I don't know what came with it. I've got a, I've got a harp. That doesn't really help us. Mm. Uh, no, I don't really have anything that fits right now. Sorry. That's
0: fine. No, it's cool. I'll, I, I made my own. We're all good. All right. All right. I had two guys that I was going back and forth on, and I'm sure that any listener listening to this show is going to know exactly what two players I'm thinking of. So I'm going to go with one of them. It's Brandon Hagel to me. I thought that he was a guy who could potentially fill a role for this team, could maybe do some stuff for him, didn't really have the highest of expectations for him this season. It has to be pointed out, he ended up finishing fifth on the team in points this season, had nine goals and 15 assists. I got to give it to Brandon Hagel. That dude made massive impacts all over the ice wherever he was. I think that he has a really bright future on this team as kind of that third line guy that they've really been kind of looking for that can jump up to the top six occasionally when needed. I think there's a lot to potentially unlock for Brandon Hagel. Love the energy with which he plays the game. He's my most surprising Blackhawk of the season.
1: I'm going to agree with you on that. Brandon Hagel is mine as well. For all the reasons you listed, there was someone in the crowd during the game tonight that had a sign that said, Brandon Hagel, that is all.
0: <laughs> uh, Can who, you guess who the other nominee was in my mind? Mine is Wyatt Kelnick.
1: I don't know if that's ah, yours. Like that. But this is a guy who was among the players we thought we would see this season but came in and much like Brandon Hagel was like, oh, I'm in. Cool. I'm just going to stay here and you can't take me out. I'm going to play too well for you to take me out. So I'm going to go with Wyatt Kelnick as my runner up as most surprising. I was really impressed with him. Smaller sample size than some of the other guys potentially, but I just really liked what I saw in his game, uh, adding some offense as well as defense. Uh, pretty impressed with what I saw from Wyatt Kelnick
0: yeah, and that's definitely a guy that I've obviously been tooting his horn a lot this season, and it's kind of weird I don't have him in my top two. I had to put Kevin Lankin in over him in that second spot. I think Solid. that none of us really kind of anticipated that Lankanen would grab the starters job and completely run with it and yeah he had his struggles down the stretch he ended up having a goals against average of just over three had a 17 14 and five record this season but you got to give it up for the dude he made some really great saves and some really big moments for the Blackhawks had some just incredible games that absolutely kept them in the playoff race longer than they realistically should have been So yeah, Kevin Lankanen is my runner up for those reasons
1: all right next category most disappointing blackhawk i have that hold on wait wait for it we also have this one if you want (laughs) you know you know the rest (laughs) Yeah.
0: So this again was a two horse race to the uh, proverbial finish line. They uh, got off to a bad start and kind of stayed bad. Um, I am going to give the narrow edge to Dylan Strome. Did not. I thought he had a rough season. This was kind of a year where he was going to be able to prove himself, show that the Blackhawks made some horrible mistake and not, locking him up to a longer-term deal and kind of stringing him along throughout the offseason he didn't do it and obviously he had some moments he had some moments tonight where he was showing that there is something there it's just very unclear to me how in the heck you're supposed to unlock what he's got to offer and i just have to say that he to me has just been ever since he kind of burst onto the scene with the Blackhawks. I've just kind of cast a wary gaze at him, and he's really never given me a reason to fully buy in. So that's why I'm naming Dylan Strome my most disappointing Blackhawk.
1: He is mine as well. And anyone who's listened to this podcast for a long time knows that I was uh, one of Dylan Strome's bigger supporters. I thought that he showed a lot from when they traded for him uh, from Arizona, and I thought that injuries were his problem last year signs a deal in the offseason, and we kind of felt like, okay, this is good. The fact that he was injured probably saved the Hawks some money, right? He comes in, first few games, he looks great, then falls out, he's a healthy scratch, and there's games he's scratched where I'm like, oh, yeah, Dylan Strom. Like, you forget he's on the team anymore. That's mm-hmm. not good. And when we talk about praising the Hawks for developing Alex to bring it, Dylan Strom has been the exact opposite 23 years old not a not a not a done deal by any means room for growth still i say but the fact that he's become a second thought on this team a team on that a is, team that had a
0: million injuries a million and he injuries should have had every opportunity
1: and very thin and very thin at scoring forwards this should have been a year where strome became a key player for the blackhawks where he was a guy they can count in count on, night in and night out to provide offense. Instead, he was a healthy scratch, and most people didn't even notice or remember mm-hmm. that he was scratched. That's not good. My dishonorable mentions in this category, uh, Nikita Zadorov never took that step in development to become mm-hmm. the, de- the dependable top four guy. We hoped he would be with, with more opportunity here. I still think there's hope for a little bit of development from him so if they can get him at the right price, sure, but... Mm, Every game getting
0: that, $4 million a season from May.
1: No, I don't think so either. Uh, And I, I don't want to do this to a rookie, but expectation coming into the season versus reality, I think Ian Mitchell did not give what was expected uh that he would give this year. So I, I'm not down on him. I'm not quitting on him. But I think we all expected right. a little more from Ian Mitchell this year. But for me, it's Dylan Strom by a wide, wide margin. I-
0: And I I did also want to say that my dishonorable mention was not shockingly Nikita Zadorov because I think that that's probably a name that's been on the minds of a lot of Blackhawk fans. It was actually Connor Murphy. I thought that he's been a guy that I've been pretty steadfast defender of and there were just times this season where that dude looked completely lost and just was not an effective player on the blue line and I know the Blackhawks are struggling with depth there and he had to play with a million different partners this season just wasn't overly enamored with what I saw at of Connor Murphy this season
1: all right forward of the year
0: forward of the year to me I thought was a obviously to me was kind of a two horse race. Um, Again, I ended up going with Alex DeBrinkit just based on the impact that he had on both ends of the ice you mentioned his defensive prowess earlier I thought he really worked hard at that this season has been really doing some great things there and is doing a really good job of not only stealing the puck but also avoiding contact when he has the puck and that's not something a lot of Blackhawk players can say they ended up having a lot of neutral zone possessions disrupted because guys would shove him off the puck or put him into the boards or whatever DeBrinkit was one of the few guys who kind of excelled in those areas and then you add in the goal scoring and the fact he was a top five goal scorer in the nhl this year alex to brinkett's my forward of the year
1: i agree with you wholeheartedly obviously patrick kane led the team in scoring as he always does was the dependable guy he always is and you know they're probably nothing without him but alex to brinkett just bursting onto the scene uh with and, uh, and you know i think there was a little bit coming into this year you know, were the first two years kind of smoke and mirrors? Is he not really the guy we thought he was going to be? He slammed the door on that conversation and, uh, to me, was the player to watch night in and night out. Uh, yeah, he doesn't rack up the points that Patrick Kane does, not just yet, but man, he's an electrifying scorer. Like you said, his defense has come a long way. He's on the penalty kill, scored his first shorthanded goal the other night. Uh, Alex DeBrinkett, to me, is the forward of the year. Let's move on to defenseman of the year. If you have to pick one,
0: (laughs) I'm hoping that we end up getting disagreements somewhere. And I'm really suspicious based on some of the things you've said about this guy. We might end up agreeing again. I'm going with Adam Boquist. He had, Not only the most points among defensemen on the team, despite playing 18 fewer games than Duncan Keith did. He also had the second best Corsi among blue liners on the team, nearly 49%. I thought that Boquist made enough strides forward in his game this season to go along with both of those statistics that he's my blue liner of the year.
1: I was very tempted to give it to Boquist, uh, but I did not. This is our disagreement. I'm actually giving it to Duncan Keith. And before you groan and roll your eyes and say, wow, there were so many times where he looked lost this year. And I agree. What else was he? What else were you supposed to do? I'm not going to roll my eyes at this. You had very limited options. I meant the the listener, you, the people in their car, you, (laughs) but look, going to be 38 this year, uh, still playing 25 minutes a game. And to me, his attitude coming into training camp and coming into the season, his positivity, uh was very very important and very very influential on how the early part of this year went with these young guys he made them feel welcome he was almost like a coach on the ice he sort of sucked up his pride and made it work and i think that coupled with what he did on the ice which is a shadow of the duncan keith that was winning norris trophies and stanley cups obviously but at this point in his career uh, to, to do what he did uh, on and off the ice this season, he's still, to me, if I've got a shift, if I've got a one-goal lead late, there's nobody else on this roster I want on the ice than Duncan Keith. So I think for one more year, Duncan Keith is going to win my Defenseman of the Year Award. And look at this, too, in the context of the story in The Athletic today, and I almost want a whole episode without mentioning The Athletic. <laughs> you and I sort of talked about this a little bit and some sources have told me this too that it might have been a blessing in disguise that Taze was not around for this fully developmental year not that you know they wouldn't be better with him on the ice but that presence in the locker room is commanding and frankly it's a stronger presence than Jeremy Collins and the fact that, that Taze was not there had a bit of a positive impact believe it or not on the development of these guys. If you don't believe me, read The Athletic today. They outline it. They talk to some sources who sort of verify the same thing. Maybe we have the same sources. I don't know. But, um, you know, so the fact that Keith was there and was a positive influence on these young players, that's what uh, locked up that vote for me. All right, let's move on to the most obvious one in our categories, goaltender of the year.
0: Colin Delia, and let me explain why.
1: speaking of no it's attitudes. kevin
0: lankanen who the hell else is it supposed to be i no think one. that i honestly biggest surprise of the year we may have been able to kind of throw uh malcolm suban's name into that just a little bit because he was probably better than a lot of us had anticipated he would be still not great obviously only had a 900 save percentage out of 3.20 goals against didn't have an awful season, though, and I think that that was something that we were pretty concerned about going into this year was whether or not he was actually going to be a viable backup. I think he served that role. I'm not saying he's the greatest ever, and he's probably going to get usurped in that role next season, but Subban wasn't bad, but yeah, it's obviously Kevin in Dude stole games all over the place. Won 17 games, you know, had a 909 save percentage and a couple shutouts. I think Kevin Lincoln, and it was very obvious, was the goaltender of the year and honestly had to be up there in that conversation for a bunch of other awards that were given out, too.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you talk about most surprising. You could just say the goalies because it was a huge question mark. And for a large percentage of the year, it was a strength. It sort of fell apart towards the end. Uh, and again, that's kind of the workload thing we've been discussing over the last few podcasts. Uh, but they were a not just a, um, you know, not just good. They were great for a large portion of the year. So uh, my goalie of the year, obviously, Kevin and another pretty easy one, rookie of the year. I'm giving that to Brandon Hagel very, very easily.
0: Oh, please explain why
1: he's just his impact, man. Every game. He was doing something positive. Even if he wasn't ending up on the score sheet, he was winning a board battle. He was showing his versatility by playing on the power play, penalty kill, every role possible. He played on every line with every player. And unlike some of the other rookies on the team, like Suter, who could have gotten some votes, and Kurashev, who could have gotten some votes, Hagel did it for the entirety of the season. He was effective from his first game until the final horn in overtime. Tonight, Brandon Hagel was awesome really good and a really positive influence every single game.
0: You want to hear something kind of bonkers? Uh-oh. I just I was looking up some statistics about Pia Suter, who, by the way, is my rookie of the year. I think that he didn't have as explosive of an impact, say, as a guy like Dominic Kubelik had in his rookie season. But I thought that he was used in a very interesting variety of roles. Jeremy Colleton clearly had at least some trust in him based on his deployment. And I think that that's something that we can kind of hang our hats on moving into next season. I did not realize that of Pia Suter's 14 goals this season, 13 of them were at the United Center. I didn't realize really? how completely ineffective he apparently was on the road this season.
1: I didn't know that either. Wow, that's something.
0: I I was looking at his splits because I kind of was just looking for, you know, some little tidbit to kind of throw out there and to kind of mention he did not score a goal on the road. His only goal of the season on the road was February 9th, and he didn't score another one. Wow. That's so wild.
1: That is so weird, especially in a season where the crowd didn't really make a huge difference. Just, like, oddly coincidental.
0: ESPN just made me a liar, by the way. I looked at his game log. He had one other road goal this season. So it was the split was close, but he did have two
1: road goals. Okay. He scored
0: one at Detroit on April 7th. Well, that's fine. The goals Way against to Detroit.
1: go, ESPN, you adults. Goals against Detroit don't count. All right. Two more categories <laughs> to go. Uh, player of the year, different from MVP, because I think MVP is who's the guy this team would absolutely suck without. Player of the year is when you put all the things together um you know who is the what who, which player had the most meaningful season so let's start there let's start with player of the year
0: uh clearly riley stillman and let me explain why <laughs> um to me, it's Alex DeBrincat. I think that when you look at all-around impact and just how insanely explosive he was from a goal-scoring perspective, this was a team that at times really struggled to put the puck in the net. I feel like Alex DeBrincat was a guy that could reliably do that for you on a lot of nights. And based on that and the growth that he showed as a defensive player and, to me, probably most importantly – the way that he didn't let the struggles of last season kind of define him and continue to drag him down, I'm giving it to Alex it.
1: So am I. We're lockstep on this one. Uh, just the, Not just the goal explosion, especially at the end of the year, but the two-way development, the uh, occasional physicality from him, the fact that he was able to evolve his game onto the penalty kill, the fact that he's wearing a letter on his sweater this year, all these things are very meaningful. And when we look back on... The rest of Alex Debrinkit's career, be it five years, 10 years from now, whatever it may be, I think we're going to look back on this 2021 season as the year Alex Debrinkit became fully realized and a true superstar in the NHL. So, for that reason, he is my player of the year. And now we wrap things up with our MVP. James, who is your MVP?
0: Uh, based on everything I've been saying, it should probably be Alex Debrinkit. I do have to give it to Patrick Kane, though, and I know that that's a very obvious thing. You give it to the leading scorer on the team, blah, blah, blah. Look... Patrick Kane is obviously the straw that stirs the drink on this offense. He's always been just such an incredible facilitator, none more so than this season, had 51 assists in 56 games, had a really good season from that perspective, had 66 points overall. The dude has almost 1,100 career points, has now played in more than 1,000 games, has more than 400 goals. He is showing no signs of slowing down offensively. And when you add on to that, the fact that he did kind of take on more more of a mentorship role on this team this season with Jonathan Taves and Brent Seabrook, obviously not being in the fold this year. It was kind of incumbent on Kane to take some of these young forwards under his wing. I thought that he did a really good job of that as well. And for the, all of those reasons, I, I think it's just, if you're saying valuable, Patrick Kane has to be your
1: guy. I agree with you on that one. Uh By the way, if we're ranking primary assists of his 51, 33 of Patrick Kane's assists were primary assists.
0: That is fantastic.
1: So he's not just like picking up, oh, you know, he sent a puck in and two guys, uh, somebody retrieved it and centered it. No, Patrick Kane, the vast majority of his assists are primary assists, and that tells you all you need to know. Um, yeah, only 15 goals, which is nothing to, you know, turn up your nose at, but 51 assists in 56 games. Again, played every game this year. Another veteran who has bought in and is there leading by example. Yeah, there's those shifts that Patrick Kane takes off. He's done that his entire career. There's no denying that. But look, the way they deployed him this season, double shifting him, sometimes triple shifting him, playing maximum minutes most nights, uh, you've got to give MVP to Patrick Kane because without him, uh, you know it's it's fairly obvious that Alex Dabrinkit doesn't have the season he has and none of the Hawks have the seasons they have. Without Patrick Kane's presence, so he to me is the team MVP this year for he, sure.
0: He did have 19 multi-point games and 18 games without a point. So you were correct. He had more multi-point games than zero-point games this season.
1: That's absolutely huge, and that tells you all you need to know about his impact on the Blackhawks this season. Look, it's no surprise that dude has been um, the among the best Blackhawks his entire career. You can always argue, you know, year to year him or Taves. You know, back or forth. Uh, But Patrick Kane just continues to blow my mind. And just like you said, no signs of slowing down. By the way, before we wrap up, James, I got to tell you a story. We haven't mentioned Dr. Squatch yet. I was at my parents' house on Saturday, did Mother's Day a day early, and there's an empty container of the Cool Fresh Aloe on their counter. I'm like, what's with the empty soap? Are you just like keeping boxes? Are you recycling it? They're like, no, we want to remind you we need more. We need more Dr. Squatch and show us how to order it so you guys get the credit. I'm like, great. All you have to do, you go to DrSquatch.com. When you're ready to check out, you enter that promo code Madhouse20 and you'll save 20% on your order while helping the podcast at the same time. That's what my mom and dad did. That's what you should do too. Go to DrSquatch.com, pick out some soap, pick out some shampoo, conditioner, the beard oil, the deodorant. I absolutely love the deodorant. Can't live without it. They've got toothpaste. They've got cologne. They've got candles. If it smells good, if it's natural, if it goes in your body, it's available from Dr. Squatch and DrSquatch.com. So again, DrSquatch.com, fill up that cart, enter that promo code MadHouse20. You'll save on your order while helping the podcast at the same time. And we always appreciate it when you help the podcast. We like that. That's one of our favorite things. With that, we're going to wrap things up. And don't worry, just because the season's over, we're not going anywhere. We're going to do some hot mics. We're going to do another episode this week where we elect our bandwagon team for the playoffs. Uh, We're going to be doing a podcast at least once a week. Look for them maybe on Mondays. We're still kind of working that whole schedule out, but we're not going anywhere. We'll be here for you at least once per week until the next season begins. There's going to be a lot of Blackhawks news to keep up with this offseason. And funny enough, some of our biggest episodes happen in June and July around the draft and around free agency. We are going nowhere. We want to thank all of you for tuning in religiously as you've done for the past, what, six years now, James? Has it been? Yeah, six seasons, brother. We want to thank our sponsors, Triple Threat Sports, Dr. Squatch, Fry the Coop, uh, The Simpson Law Group, of course, Marishka's, who's been with us forever. And uh, like we said, most importantly, you for listening, for telling your friends, uh, for subscribing, for rating, for reviewing, all those things. You want to do us a favor? At the end of the year, go leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. That would be the most helpful thing you can do. We would greatly, greatly appreciate that support from you. So until we meet again later this week, for my partner, James DeVoe, my name is Jay Zawoski. This has been the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop,
0: Triple Threat Sports, Doctor Squatch, and by the Sids In Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast Burn It All Down.